Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to another episode of Revolution Recap. We're coming to you today after the New England Revolution's one nothing road win against the listless Atlanta United. Joining me today is Chris Falukas. Chris, how are you doing? Hey, man, I'm doing good. Thank you so much. And listless, I mean, I, you took the words out of my mouth almost, except I probably wouldn't have used that word. But uh, <laughs> it was it was a good game uh, as far as the fact that we got three points out of it. A little bit boring, but uh, you know what? It's uh, three points on the road. Can't complain. I'm pretty happy about that. How about you? Yeah, I mean, it was it was a great three points for the Revolution, not the prettiest of games. Um, and it's kind of shocking how far Atlanta has fallen. Um, mm-hmm. But we'll talk more about that in a minute. I, d- I did want to quickly at the start of our show uh, mention the passing of a New England Revolution legend, Paul Mariner. Um, the Revolution wore black armbands tonight in his honor. You know, a- after an incredible career as a striker that included impressive stints at Plymouth, Ipswich, Arsenal, among others, as well as scoring for England in the World Cup. Paul came to the U.S. where the Revs were lucky enough to get him as an assistant coach alongside head coach Steve Nichol. It is kind of crazy to think uh, the Revolution had two real legends of the game coaching mm-hmm. together um, from 2004 to 2009 during really what was the Revolution's most impressive stretch um, where they made it to three three straight MLS Cups between 2005 and 2007 uh, and had a fantastic team. Paul then went on to coach at Plymouth um, in England and then came back and coached at Toronto. I think he was their GM first before returning to New England as a color commentator, which was really another role that he excelled in. Uh, I think we were really lucky to have Paul um, on Revolution Recap in our first year on the radio back in October 23rd, 2005. He was great. I was still kind of finding my feet back then, and Paul was just a, a great in- interviewer you know, with, with plenty of patience for my questions. Um, and while I don't think I can do Paul's career justice the way Frank DeLapa and Julian Cardillo on Rev's Confidential Podcast and Brad Feldman on the Far Post Podcast did this week, uh, both of which you should definitely check out if you haven't already. Paul was always great to chat with and would make time for anyone to talk soccer with. You know, when I did the new American Game radio show, he came on that a few times as well. I'd always hoped and thought that we'd have Paul again on the Revolution Recap podcast and, you know, very disappointed that we didn't reach out to him sooner to, to make it happen. Um, and, and honestly, while I didn't know Paul as well as some did, my interactions with him were always left me knowing and realizing what a special person he was. Um, and learning of his death, you know, hit me pretty hard, despite the fact that I, you know, I didn't have the, the closest relationship with him, but did get the chance to talk to him, you know, several times over the years. And you know, we're lucky enough to have him on Revolution Recap. Um, and I think, you know, as people that cover the revolution, we were very lucky that Paul was such a big part of the revolution over the years and that he was able to share his knowledge. Uh, I, I thought his color commentary um, you know, over the last few years before Charlie Davies took over was was really fantastic and, and added a lot to the broadcast. And I think, Chris, that was probably, you know, your experience with Paul more than anything else coming in as a, as a Revolution fan. Um, you know, do, did you have any thoughts on, on what we saw from, you know, Paul as a color commentator? Yeah, part of uh, falling back in love with the, with the game of soccer, for me, it was back in 2012 when I really started to fall back in love with the sport again and and really get back involved with the revolution. And a lot of that was just because of listening to Paul Mariner on the broadcasts. Uh, The way that he just brought so much life to the game and uh, it it just made everything just feel so comfortable and and natural to listen to. He he just, it was such a great talent and um, it just, it it was pretty, pretty shocking to, to learn about his death um, last Friday. And, you know, my, my thoughts are just with, 
um, Brad Feldman and everyone else at the organization that was really close to him. And of course, with his family and everything, it's um, it's 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 kind of a, a tragic and jarring loss to to the world more than just the revolution and football world. But um, yeah, my my thoughts are just with with everyone. Yes, it's a huge loss. And, and, you know, for me, I didn't realize I knew what a great soccer player he was, but I didn't realize what his reputation really off the field was, where you know, this, this was really a guy that was hanging out with rock stars and was you know, good <laughs> friends with you know, Deep Purple and all sorts of you know, bands out there. And he's actually got an autobiography coming out um, this fall, which I, I can't wait to, wait to read. I think it's October that it's coming out. Um, and and the the forward for it is written by I think the lead singer of Deep Purple, so just kind of a you know a, a interesting tidbit of how big and how important he was not just in the soccer world but you know it, it is a it's a huge loss um, you know for the revolution community because he was such a big part of that but for for so many communities because he was such a, a big um, amazing impressive person um, to so many people and we will get back briefly to Paul at the end of the show I actually have a clip um, from his interview on Revolution Recap. 16 years ago that I, I, I want to play at the end of the show. But um, for now, let's jump into the Atlanta game. It was a, a big win for the revolution. Um, you know, again, like we said, Atlanta not not playing at their best. But we should note that Atlanta hadn't lost a home MLS regular season game all year. Um, so with that, Chris, what, what was your key takeaway from this one? You know, it's been a common theme, I guess, recently with the revolution that we're making big mistakes that are leading to to turnovers and uh goals for the opposition or own goals uh in in some cases but tonight i feel like there was really no costly mistakes it was a relatively boring match but it was also a pretty clean match and i think that's uh maybe an understated point uh, from the feedback that i've been seeing on social media and stuff after after the match but uh yeah it was no costly mistakes pretty clean match i think there was there was one mistake that I can think of where Andrew Farrell tried to clear the ball and cleared it right into the Atlanta attacker, uh, and it ended up turning into a shot on goal. It was a solid shot, but right at Brad Knight and didn't really test him too much. And thankfully, that was really it. So there was no costly mistakes. The Revs did not beat themselves tonight, and I think that's that's a big point. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there was there was certainly some shaky plays where you know there was ball over the top that that. Um... Kubo Torres beat Farrell too, and then Farrell recovered and put pressure on him, and it ended up being a shot that was you know savable. And there were a couple of times where Brad Knighton looked a little bit shaky, and you know maybe gave up a rebound or didn't you know cleanly win a corner kick. Um, but I agree, there were no costly mistakes in this one, and and I think some of that might be that Atlanta didn't didn't have the players to capitalize on the you know the mistakes the revolution did make um or forcing the revolution into more mistakes but at the end of the day it's three points on the road and it's a good result um for the revolution for sure yeah i mean there was one notable player that was not on the pitch for atlanta and if anyone listened to the broadcast i think you heard that name about three thousand times um you know joseph martinez such a big piece of that atlanta team and of course not being there is going to really hurt them and the uh, the attacking trio that atlanta put out really struggled um to really put pressure on the revolution defense but still credit to the to the revs to the defense midfield and attack there was no mistakes on their part and you know that's what i'm coming away with looking at saying how do they keep this going let's get some momentum with that and uh you know moving forward uh we have another match i think it's wednesday night against miami and it's gonna be uh looking to keep that streak of you know no no costly errors going 
Yeah, and it, we, you should again note that this, uh, this Atlanta team has been struggling this year. And the fact that Joseph mm-hmm. Martinez was out, you know, I don't know what kind of shape Joseph Martinez is, is in. I think we saw some comments about people, you know, talking about how he necessarily wasn't in the best shape the last time the Revolution played him. But when he is in form, he's an incredible player. I mean, he's one of the best strikers in the league. There's no no denying that. Um, I think any team in MLS would want him. So for him not to be on the pitch and you know be one of their designated players, that's a that's a huge blow and a huge help to the Revolution. Um, but at the same time, this this even with that, this isn't the same dominant Atlanta United team we saw a few years ago um, that was tearing up the league and, uh, you know, everyone was afraid of, you know, when they had Miguel Almiron, um, you know, the coaching changes, have, there's been several of them since then. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's not a great Atlanta United team. Um, but at the same time, the revolution had never won in Atlanta. This was a big win for the Revs. It wasn't easy. Um, and they, you know, they had to be pretty mistake free. To, to get it because they only scored one goal. Um, right. So it was great for them to get a shutout, their first shutout since May 29th, the first time they hadn't given up two goals, at least two goals since May 29th. Um, and that was really big for the revolution. And like you said, gives them something to try to carry over into Wednesday. Uh, you know, my takeaway is actually kind of uh, admitting I was wrong with some of my previous takeaways and that the revolution are capable of playing Buxa and Bo both as strikers together and making it work because I thought the two of them played really, really well together tonight. It only produced one goal. It should have produced more goals. Um, and I think Books's finishing was a bit off, but every, every other aspect of Books's game was really good. Um, there was just, you know, early on, I think he had a header that he, that he hit wide. I forget whether it was off a corner kick or some sort of set piece. Um, you know, he had a chance to get a shot off where he slid in and almost scored, but probably should have gotten more power on it. I think he, you know, he maybe stretched and slipped more than he had to. Um, and there were, you know, a couple other chances that Buxa maybe should have finished, but I thought his effort was great. His work rate was great. His runs were great. His positioning was great. Um, his connection with Bo was great. Um, it was just another one of those games where his finishing could have been a bit better. Uh, but it certainly showed to me that Buxa and Bo are capable of playing together as strikers. Um, but what it showed to me was that the problem that we've been seeing, um, and, and, you know, part of the problem is the chemistry of the two of them has gotten better as the season goes along. That certainly makes sense. But I, I think part of the problem you know, the real problem we've been seeing when they've put these formations out in the past is when they've played two strikers, they put Carles Heel as a kind of a right winger, right midfielder, instead of keeping him in the center. In this game, they finally kept him in the center and it produced, you know, great results. Um, playing that diamond midfield with, you know, three defensive, you know, two way midfielders um, back behind Carles Heel. It worked really well. Well, I wouldn't say it worked really well, but it worked well enough and it allowed, you know, Books and Bo to play well up top and it allowed Carles Heel to, to, you know, combine with them. Um, I, I don't know if they necessarily got quite enough offense out of the the winger, or sorry, out of the fullbacks with Brandon By and Dewan Jones. They provided, you know, some width, but they probably need a little bit more from them um, if this formation is something they play going forward. Uh, but it certainly showed to me that Books and Bo are capable of playing up top um, if Carles Heel is still in the center and Bruce Arena finds a way to do that. And he did in this game. Um, the diamond, you know, worked. It didn't work perfectly, but it worked. And it showed that, you know, I think, again, you can't expect it to work perfectly the first time they use it. Um, but it's something that I think if they use more going forward this season, there is potential there. Yeah, you know, you just ticked off the top three notes that I took away from this match as well. Um, I know my key takeaway was that there's no mistakes. But other than that, you know, I had bigger points on my list and it was Buxa and Bo looked great together and they really did. And that's exactly what you're talking about. And Buxa, of course, you know, I think in my opinion, I think he backed up a lot of the talk that he was talking about where he wanted to be 
uh, he wants to be a starter. He wants to be in the 11 and he's upset when he's not. I think maybe some of that came to fruition where tonight's match, he really, really asserted himself. And what I'm trying to say is Buxa did, did really well tonight and really tried to back up the, the case that he should be starting. And I think a lot of that is due to the formation and the 442 diamond. It's always been one of my favorite formations. I always go back to the Jay heaps, uh, days when Jay Heaps used to roll that out pretty consistently, specifically in 2014 when you had Jermaine Jones um, back there as well. And I want to see that going forward, um, the formation. And I, getting to see Buxa and Bo specifically work together, so more towards your point, getting to see them work together and, and grow that chemistry, they played so well together. They knew where each other, where each other were all game. And they knew when they needed to drop back and defend or when they needed to push up and try to create space or to pass the ball. It was it was really awesome to see. Again, to your point, I wish that they had uh, found the net a bit more, but uh, you can't complain with three points at the end. Yeah, and it, and it leaves Bruce Arena with options because, um, you know, I think he didn't necessarily have a good way to play two strikers before, and I think now he found that good way. The question is, you know, when Tejan Buchanan comes back, um, you're left with a difficult decision because you you can't really play a diamond with Tejan Buchanan. If you if you diamonds don't have wingers, you know that's the, that's the aspect of the diamond. Mm-hmm. So if, if Tejan Buchanan is back, you're and you're trying to stick with a diamond, you're either playing him at right back, which I don't think you do because I think Brandon Bay has been playing well, or he's on the bench um, and giving you optionality. But I think it's a good problem to have because you know Bruce Arena can go matchup by matchup. Um, and decide which formation makes more sense. And he can also rotate by doing this. So it, it's another option in the arsenal that he didn't necessarily have because the the way he was playing a 4-4-2 wasn't working when he was trying to kind of play with a, a flat 4-4-2 with wingers and two central midfielders. You know, that didn't work. He found something that looks like it could work. It worked pretty well against Atlanta, and it has potential to get better. So um, I'm excited to see that. I was excited to see the two strikers work. I, I thought this was one of Books's best games as a rev, despite the fact he didn't score. And I, I agree with you. He backed up his talk midweek. So that's exciting to see. Yep. And uh, further into the four, four, two as well. I wanted to just quickly touch on the midfield and you had that trio of Polster, Maciel and Cap Toom. And it was really nice to see how they worked together. And two of them would drop back and the other one would go up and press in the attack. You start with Polster a lot in the first half, Cap Toom more in the second half. I guess Maciel kind of stayed centrally or, defensively but nice to see the chemistry between those three as well you know knowing who's going up who's attacking and who's dropping back there wasn't a lot of miscommunication in the midfield I thought the midfield maybe could have been a bit more um, aggressive but other than that there was really no issues and then again I guess comes back to my key takeaway of there there was no mistakes and that is definitely uh, including the midfield as well yeah, and I completely agree with all of that. And it's you know it's worth mentioning again. Like this isn't something they've done before. So the fact that it worked that well the first time they did it, and and again it wasn't perfect, but it worked well. And it, you know, to me, did enough to show that something they can do going forward. I think they should do it again on Wednesday. Um, it's certainly to me the formation that they should stick with uh, as long as Tejan Buchanan is not available. And then when Tejan Buchanan comes back, you're left with you know. Are, are you better off going back to the four five one and dropping one of the strikers or doing something else? I think that that's the complicating factors. They have a really, really good winger in Tejan Buchanan and you, you can't really play this formation 
with, with, with wingers, you have to switch it up. So I, if, if this formation keeps working, I guess you just have to sell Tejan. <laughs> well, that's the, that's the other thing. If there are good offers for Tejan, you know, I guess if you found another formation, that makes it a little bit easier to sell them uh, mm-hmm. or to stomach selling them. But it, it's, uh, it's an interesting problem to have. Um, and it's not a problem I think the Revolution really had before this game because, because they, they hadn't managed to find a way to make the, t- the two strikers really work until now. So, um, you know, I don't know, the, a, a lot to look at going forward based on what we saw in this game uh, and makes Wednesday very interesting. And, you know, they have a lot of depth at central midfield. As we saw in this game, they were able to bring on Tommy McNamara. Uh, this had Scott Caldwell as an option if they needed it. And those are all guys that could slot into this formation and, and make it work. So. And even Tristan came on, and I thought he played pretty well, too. He did, he did, but they you know, kind of switched things up and switched back to the formation they're more familiar with when they did that. So, right, right. Uh, but, you know, it's it's good to be able to give different looks to a defense if something's not working, too. So a lot of good coming out of this game and the and the functionality and the flexibility that the Revolution now have. With that said, I, I know both of us kind of had a list of topics we wanted to cover, but I think they're kind of covered by our listener questions. So I'm going to, before we jump into listener, listener questions, I want to talk about our sponsor, um, but we'll jump right into listener questions after that. Uh, and of course, if you've been listening to the podcast, you know we're sponsored now by Glasho Kits. Glasho Kits is the go-to place to bring unique vintage jerseys to your home. The passion for the beautiful game doesn't have borders, and neither does their selection. Um, and if you head to Glasho Kits today, you can get 15% off your order by using the code RevsRecap. Again, that's RevsRecap at checkout. Check out for 15% off your order um, at GlossoKits.com. Right now, uh, if you go to Glasho Kits, um, you might want to grab the 2002 New England Revolution jersey that's still available there or the 2000 Revolution Windbreaker. You know, as we've talked about in the past, those are becoming even more vintage as it looks like the Revs are probably going to rebrand in the offseason. So uh, get those before they go away. Um, and with that, I did want to jump into listener questions. Like I said, I think a lot of this covers some of the things we wanted to talk about. So it's easier to just do that than to jump into topics. Um, and the first one that I had up was from Cody Hall on Twitter. He wanted to know what we thought of the formation that has all three DPs on it with enough defensive cover now. Um, and has Buxa hit a stride in my opinion, in Cody's opinion, he's playing his heart out and it shows. Um, we talked a bit about both of those things, but Chris, anything else to add? Yeah, you know, I think that there's a bit of a, a perception that maybe Buxa has fallen out of form or something like that. And I think maybe that's not really the case. I thought that Buxa had been playing really well all season long. And then Bo got the start. I don't remember what game it was, but Bo got the start over Buxa. Uh, of course, the formation wasn't working. They were forcing that 4-4-2 uh, with, with heel out wide. Was not was not getting any results offensively anyways. So they had to keep going back to the 4-3-2-1. And it was either going to be Bo or Buxa. And Bo went in. He he got the first start, I think, when they really committed to that formation and really set a precedent and just kind of went off. And he had you know, five games in a row. He scored a goal. He was missed. He didn't score against Toronto, but I think it was tonight that he scored. So now it's six goals and seven games, uh, I think, is what it is. I could be I could be off by one game on that. But that's still a very impressive run of, run of form by Gustavo Bo. And how do you take out someone when they're putting up numbers like that? Buxa, I, I think that it's pretty consistent that he's shown that he doesn't necessarily perform as well coming off the bench. At least that's something that I've been pretty adamant about stating. Maybe it's just something that I'm forcing into my own false reality in my head at this point, and it's not actually true. But uh, to my eye test, I think Buxa doesn't perform as well off the bench, and therefore maybe that's what some of the perception has been that Maybe he hasn't been hitting his stride, and now all of a sudden he is because he's been getting a couple of starts. Um, Buxa had a great game. I don't think I can say it enough. There was a, a 
a, a late play as well. I don't remember what minute it was where he was tracking back defensively. Uh, he, I think he might have lost possession or it was a loose pass near him. And he went down and slid, did like a sliding pass, kicked it straight up field. I think it was like 40-yard pass up to Carly's heel who was streaking up there uh, to get on the ball. And it was such a perfectly placed ball on such an odd play. Uh, it was it was really impressive. And he, there was several times throughout the game where he showed that. Um, again, the only other piece I think that he maybe needs to work on was the finishing. Um, there was a couple of shots that he had that seemed to go wide or not really test the keeper. Uh, other than that, yeah, I mean, he's he's playing very well right now and positionally and uh, and mentally as well. Yeah, I agree. He's been playing you know, very well other than the finishing. And, you know, he's still got five goals this year. He's he's ninth in the league in goals. <laughs> that's, that's not that bad. You know, yeah. I, there's a lot of panic about the Revolution strikers. And I get it with Buxa. You know, he's he's actually second in the league in shots with 46, but only 16 of those have been on target. And, yes, that's a worry um, at the end of the day. Sure, uh, I get it. But his play, especially recently, has been really good. Um, he's, you know, added a lot to this team beyond goals. Um, you know, he got the assist in this game on, on Bo's goal. Um, and I think he's been playing very well overall other than the finishing at the end of the day, there's a lot of panic and in, in some Revs fans about the revolution's finishing, but you have Gustavo Bo, who's third in the leagues and goals right now. <laughs> that's, that's a great thing. To, if you have a striker that's third in the league and goals, you're, you're not doing too bad. And then you have Buxa who's ninth in the league in goals right now. Um, you you don't need one striker to score 20 goals if you have two strikers in the top 10. Um, so I, I think there's legitimate concern that Books's finishing should be better. But, you know, I don't think there's anything to panic about with the Revs offense. I think, you know, if you're concerned with anything, it's the defense. And I think the defense could improve. But I think the offense is creating a lot of chances. Uh, Gustavo Bo is on fire. Adam Buxa is playing well, even though, you know, his finishing could improve. But, you know, he's got five goals and eight starts. That's not that's not bad numbers, um, all things considered. You know, again, you look at the chances he's had and he should have more. But I, I'm not hitting the panic button on the Revolution Strikers anymore at all. I think that the Revolution are in good shape offensively. And, you know, if we're going to talk about issues, it's it's defense. Um, and you know <laughs> the revolution got a shutout in this one, so you can't be too disappointed with that after this game either. Um, you know we talked about the formation, so I think we've, I think we've mostly covered what's in this question. Um, but the the next question from Cameron on Discord is is something I wanted to talk about, and that is did Captoom do enough to solidify a starting position? Over Maciel, and I guess this is assuming that the Revolution go back to a four-five-one, where they're playing. You know, you're not playing both of them. Yeah, did Captain do enough to to solidify his position? I mean, I I think that's such a hard sell to really uh, a hard pitch to make uh, based on one performance. I think both Captain and Maciel had a somewhat forgettable, although clean performance. Uh, the only thing that I can really remember of notable. Um, of, of any notab- notability from tonight with Captoom was again it was late in the game going down the left wing. Um, it wasn't super late because I think he got subbed off, but he was going down the left wing and he was being pressured by an Atlanta defender, and he did go past him. Alejandro Moreno on the broadcast even mentioned this as well. He didn't even want to take on the defender, and then he did, and then he got past the defender, and instead of trying to take the ball and try to 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 press into the towards the net you know he was right near the byline it did take a deflection off the atlanta player but even though he had possession and he had some numbers in the box he didn't even want to try to take it that was my only real negative 
or criticism that I have about Captoom's play. Otherwise, it was a clean game, if not forgettable. That's the thing. I, I think it was a forgettable performance other than the assist. You know, he had a mm-hmm. nice secondary assist on the goal. Um, but did he do, I mean, again, I think the revolution, as long as Tejan are out, are probably going to stick with this formation. Um, and in that case, you're playing both of them. It's not a Captoom or Masial. It's, it's both of them, unless McNamara or Caldwell gets a start. And, and if they do get a start in Wednesday, I think that's probably more rotation than anyone having done something bad. Um, but I, I, I agree with how I would describe Captoon's performance. Other than the assist, it was forgettable. Um, I don't think he, you know, did anything too bad, but, you know, with a guy with his experience, you'd like to see him find a way to get more involved in the game. And he only had 23 touches in the second half where he played 21 minutes and he had five touches. Um, at, at halftime, he had the least touches on the team with 18. You know, this is an experienced player that you, you want to have a lot of influence on the game, or at least that's the expectation. And he didn't have that. So, um, again, not a bad performance, you know, but just looking at the numbers, you know, 23 touches, 15 total passes. Um, I think he completed you know, 11 or 12 of them. Um, it, it just was a forgettable performance and defensively he had two tackles, but, you know, and committed two fouls, but he didn't have any interceptions. You know, Polster had five interceptions, Masial had three interceptions. It, it was a, you know, again, a, a clean, a fairly clean game, but not a game in which he wasn't as involved as I'd like to see him. Yeah, 100%. And Maciel as well on that front. I don't have Maciel's touch numbers right in front of me, but Captoom and Maciel both played a clean game, but I would have liked to see them get involved a bit more. Yeah, and and maybe we'll see that as they get more comfortable with the formation. Um, Mm -hmm. It's not a game where I'd write off either of them. It's also not a game where I'd say they've solidified any spot in the lineup. So uh, we'll see what happens Wednesday. Um, The next question came from Cam on Discord, who asked, will Atlanta United head coach Gabriel Hanze be gone by tomorrow? What what do you think, Chris? Oh, my gosh. It's such a a crazy question to ask. Uh, No, by tomorrow. I mean, at least the the timeline given to me is... uh, really short so no i don't think it'll be gone by tomorrow uh i don't know what the issue actually is between gabriel hanze and and yosef martinez and maybe the whole locker room i'm not really sure there's a lot there's a lot going on right now with atlanta and i don't know if it's just gabriel hines uh it's it's such a loaded question uh i'm just i'm gonna say no and uh we'll see we'll see how that goes call me out you know dm me if i'm wrong but i no, is my answer. Well, it's it's funny. I feel like we saw sort of a similar situation play out in Toronto, where Chris Armas, mm. you know, and Josie Altador, their de- designated player striker, had a falling out, and he was making Josie Altador chain on a different field. And they, you know, the end outcome of that was Chris Armas got fired. Um, Toronto wasn't playing up their potential. Um, and you know, it was a pretty quick and swift firing of Chris Armas. You almost feel bad for him because he hasn't been able to play a real home game. He, since he was hired as a coach, he never actually got to play a game in Toronto. But losing seven, two would also do that to you. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Um, but Atlanta is doing a little bit better than Toronto. Uh, they're in 10th place instead of last, instead of last place, 14th place. Um, but if, if Heinze can't figure it out. Um, I can't make it work with Joseph Martinez. I think that is going to be the end result is that he gets let go um, because he's, you know, Joseph Martinez is a huge part of Atlanta, as we said earlier. And if, if, you know, the most expensive player on the team isn't happy and the coach isn't getting results, I think the end result is the coach is gone. Will it be by tomorrow? Um, probably not, but I think that's where this is headed. So we'll, <laughs> we'll yeah. see. 
I think the dust needs to settle a little bit in Atlanta before any moves are made. But yeah, uh, I yeah, mean, again, if, if he can't if he can't mend things with Joseph Martinez, I don't see how he stays as coach. Um, right. And you know, I, I don't know where that goes. Real, real quick before we jump into the next one, sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but I just wanted to say I did look up Maciel's stats and he had 41 touches over 82 minutes. So uh, to my point from the previous question, again, it wasn't a whole lot more than uh, than what Captoom had been doing. Yeah, so a little bit more involved, but still not heavily involved. Uh, but at the same time, the Revolution didn't have that much possession in this game, too. So there was less opportunity to get on the ball. I think the Revolution had less than 40% possession. I think it was like 39.7 or something at the end of the game. Um, so that was that was interesting. And the I, one guy who didn't necessarily help with keeping possession in this one was, was Polster, who finished with... Um, 76 percent passing which isn't in a vacuum a bad number but he usually averages close to 90 um so for him that's not a great number well you know atlanta finished with 391 total accurate passes the revolution finished with 230 so uh it's pretty wild to see such disparaging numbers uh going against you when you're still coming out with a win on the road but the revolution got it done but but it also says something about Atlanta that they had that much possession and still couldn't create many chances. <laughs> that says a lot about Atlanta. Um, so our, our next question gets at the defense, and it's it's Thomas Thumb on Twitter. He asks, he's well, he says more of a comment. Man, we need an upgrade at center back. Uh, Chris, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I agree. I, I don't know what we need because I'm a fan of Farrell's, and I think that he has a lot to provide this back line. And I think Kessler needs to be starting. I think you need to be, uh, if, for lack of a better word, grooming him to become the future of the organization at center back. But maybe Farrell is not the partner that that Henry Kessler needs. Maybe there's someone else out there. I don't really know what the solution would be. And um, I know Bruce has hinted at some sort of signing possibly coming in the next week or two. Maybe that's a center back. Maybe it's another attacker. I have no idea. Uh, I, I I don't really know because Bruce hasn't been taking Andrew Farrell off the pitch at all. He's been playing him week in and week out. I can't see Bruce now going out to buy a new center back to replace him. And yet, in my opinion, Henry Kessler is probably... He needs to be the number one, but I think that Andrew Farrell's out there, and I've said this before too, a lot because he has the experience. Uh, and he knows how to read the game or how to read the speed of MLS. But Henry Kessler's up to the up to the challenge, and I think he's proven now that you know he's adapted to MLS uh, as opposed to being in college. And I, maybe it's time to you know hand hand the reins of the defense and the back line over to Henry Kessler, or maybe it's time to just play a four four two diamond and make sure we have three defensive midfielders out there all the time. I, I don't know what the solution is, but upgrade at CB. A hundred percent. Yeah. There, there needs to be some more, some more, uh, talent there. Yeah. I, I agree with all that. And the other thing I'll add is I, I thought the revolution defense looked okay at the beginning of the season. Um, when it was, you know, solidly determined who it was going to be. And then I, you know, they weren't perfect, but then Bruce arena went in and put John bell in and kept playing John bell. Um, and you know, John bell did fine. Um, other than a few mistakes, but, I didn't think there was a big issue with, with Kessler and Farrell before that. And then, you know, after Kessler kind of lost his spot and then got a spot back, they haven't really been the same. 
Um, so I, I get why Bruce Arena wanted to get John Bell some minutes. I think he probably gave him too many minutes at the expense of Kessler, and I think that hurt the center back pairing and the defensive cohesion. Um, that was wasn't that bad at the beginning of the season, but now we are at the point where you know the defense doesn't look good enough, and I think they do need to go out and get the center back. Um, you know, but I'm not certain that the you know Kessler and Farrell couldn't work it out to be a decent enough center back pairing for this team. Um, but I, I think I would feel a lot more comfortable with this defense if there was another experienced center back option back there uh, in case that doesn't happen. And it was you know funny during the broadcast or interesting during the broadcast that Marino pointed out at least one time where you know that that play I talked about earlier where you know Kubo Torres on a you know, 40 50 yard pass over the top uh, beat Andrew Farrell and Farrell recovered but it was one of those plays where you know Farrell probably should have won the initial ball and Marino kind of pointed out that a guy with the experience of Farrell you expect to do better in that situation and I think there's been you know a few times in recent weeks where that comment would apply where Farrell's made kind of a mistake and you'd expect a guy with his experience to do better um, so what uh, will I mean, we'll see what happens there, but I, I certainly agree that center back is an, an area where, you know, the revolution would be wise to kind of go out and get somebody with experience that uh, can provide some competition there in case Farrell and Kessler don't kind of get back to the form that we saw from them, you know, in the playoffs last year and at times at the beginning of this season. And I, the next question we get to here comes from, from Mike Kennedy, who mentions it was actually a much stronger performance in the back four in this one with the shout out. He loved the clean sheet, um, taking nothing away from today's performance, but against better teams, do you guys trust this back line? Um, I think we kind of touched on that. Chris, anything mm-hmm. else to add? I, I trust the back line to not give up seven goals. Yeah, it, it's it's too inconsistent for me. And uh, yeah, the, Again, maybe it is an upgrade at, at center back. Back to Thomas Thum- Thomas Thumb's question too. I, I think something needs to be done. There needs to be some sort of change for me to actually be more confident and have trust. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, again, it was great to see the Revolution get a shutout. Um, Atlanta's scored 13 goals in 13 games. They're not an offensive juggernaut anymore. They used to be, <laughs> but they're not anymore. Yep. Um, so it was great. They got a shout out today, but do I trust this backline against better teams? Um, you know, if the revolution are going to th- score three goals, I trust this backline to do enough to, to win. Um, but against, against good teams. No, I don't know that I do trust this backline enough. Uh, I, I, like I said, I think they might be able to work it out and, and figure it out. And this was, you know, a better performance. But I think a better team uh, with the way they performed today even probably would have scored a goal. Um, and the Revs would have left for the tie. I think if a fit Joseph Martinez um, was playing this game for Atlanta, I don't think the Revolution walk away with a shutout. So, you know, it, it, it's... It's worrying, but it's not something that I'm panicking about. Um, but I, I, like we said, I think a, an upgrade at center back, you know, would certainly help the team. Um, and then Mike also asked a question that we also touched about. With we said, Captoon was underwhelming and Masiel was okay, but didn't boss the midfield. Did the Revs need to upgrade in the center of the park this summer? Uh, I wouldn't mind an upgrade, I guess necessarily, but I think the priority has to be in the back line. But you also got to think, where are you upgrading? The only thing I could think of is maybe the Luis Caicedo piece. And is is Luis Caicedo maybe going to start playing? Is he going to be any sort of Caicedo that we're used to seeing? Um, you know, circa 2018, uh, whatever year it was that he last played well. We knew that was 2019. And... I, or is is that maybe a player that the Revolution choose to move on from and bring in someone else that is uh, more of an impact player? Bruce did mention that if he's going to bring in any player, it's going to be a player that's going to be 
uh, meant to make an impact. So I think that means that he's not looking to make a depth signing like an AJ De La Garza uh, or an Earl Edwards Jr. But uh, do you make an upgrade there? I, why not? I, I wouldn't say no. Like if you're talking about an upgrade in any position, I'm never going to say no to an upgrade. But uh, I don't think that should be priority number one. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And this one also goes to, you know, if if Tejan gets sold, um, and I, I kind of tend to think it's not going to happen until the offseason, uh, but Correct. if Tejan gets sold and the Revolution kind of commit to a diamond, uh, then there's more reason to upgrade at central midfield. If they are rotating between a diamond and, you know, a 4-5-1 where they have wingers, um, then it falls further down my list of needs for the Revolution. Because you look at the at central midfield, they have Matt Polster, who's you know been playing very well this season, and he solidified his starting spot in the lineup. Um, and then the options to play beside him, they have Masi. You know, if it's a four-five-one where they're playing two of them, they have Masiel, they have Captoon, they have Scott Caldwell, they have Tommy McNamara, and they have Luis Caicedo if he ever comes back. So it's a, in theory, a very deep defensive midfield. And and could it be stronger? Absolutely. Um, but if they're only going to be playing two of them, a lot of these games, and I, and I do kind of tend to think that that's where it's going to go when, when Buchanan gets back, then it's, it's hard for me to say, Hey, you've got six central midfielders for two spots. Let's add a seventh. Um, you know, unless they're going to trade away one of those guys. And I don't know that there's necessarily going to be too much of a market to trade away, you know, some of those guys. So I, I think the hope is that Captoom continues to improve and has more of an impact, um, and I think you kind of ride on that and ride on Masial getting better. And then, you know, Tommy McNamara, Tommy McNamara has had a pretty good impact for the revolution when he's played as well. So, um, like, like you said, if you find a really good upgrade, uh, that's a position that can be really influential on a team. So you make it, but I think it's also a hard position to upgrade and find a good player, um, at this point, given probably what the rev salary cap restrictions are and everything. And, you know, he's not going to be a designated player. Um, that's a spot where I think if you had an open designated player spot, you could really make an impact by signing somebody good. But, um, my thoughts are like yours that center back is the priority, and, you know, it's a very crowded central midfield through the revolution, especially if Caicedo gets healthy. So it's hard for mm-hmm. me to see them adding a seventh player there. And our next one, it comes from David Zabillion, more of a, a comment. Um, he wanted to give a shout out to Brad Knight for the clean sheet and bouncing back from a three goal game. And I think we should use that to talk about Knight for a moment because we haven't really talked about him. Chris, what did you think of his performance in this one? You know, he wasn't really called on all that much. Uh, he did do a pretty decent job of uh, coming out to intercept a couple of crosses, um, you know, showing that he had the confidence to do that. But overall, uh, he was shaky at times, but solid. Um, you know, he didn't let anything in, obviously. Uh, he made saves that maybe he didn't even need to make. But then he also, there was one shot that sticks in my head, and maybe it's just because I play goalkeeper, um, and again, I say it over and over again every time I mention this that I'm just really bad. So maybe just don't listen to me when I talk about this. But uh, <laughs> I, I saw him dive at a, at a ball that was maybe 10, 15 yards wide of net. And part of me was wondering, did you misread that? Did you think it was going into the net? Why did you dive? Was your body already moving? Um, and, and it, you know, it was he anticipating the shot to go that direction. And that's why he was already heading that way. I didn't get a replay of it, so I'm not really sure. But part of me was thinking that maybe he was misreading the play and thinking that the ball was actually going somewhere else. And that's a little bit worrisome. But other than that one play of note to me, I thought that he had a very good game. Um, and maybe the only other point is like his distribution 
was not as good as I think it usually is. I completely agree with everything you said. Um, I, you know, he made the saves he needed to make. He kept the shutout, so you have to be happy with that. But there was some shakiness there. There were some times where he, you know, probably should have caught the ball and ended up giving up rebounds. And I think he was maybe a little bit lucky he didn't get punished on some of those. And then I think there was a corner kick where he came out to get the ball and didn't win it very cleanly. Um, but at the end of the day, he got the shutout. It was a much improved performance from the last game. But you know, still, I think his confidence maybe wasn't where it should be and there was some shakiness there but i think him getting a shout out in this game will actually probably help him going forward and, and help his confidence um but uh, you know otherwise i i completely agree with with your thoughts on that one um the next comment came from mike d on twitter and he asked where or who is the dagger that finishes opponents off that turns the 1-0 nail biter to a 2-0 cruise to a win do we need that, or do we trust this team, unlike years past, to finish off close, low-scoring matches? What do you think, Chris? I think we need that, and I don't know necessarily what that player is. I would like it to be maybe a Carles heel or maybe like a Matt Polster-type player, someone com- coming up from the midfield, finishing off the game late when the attack is really in the box. Uh, maybe a ball pops out, something like that. You need that sort of you know, last five minutes of the game uh, closer essentially to really finish games because the way that we've seen this team perform defensively has really been worse. I mean, that's been really the the focus of this whole podcast so far today is that the Revs played a really good game today, but we still have a lot of concerns about the back line. And if you're not closing out games better than, you know, finishing one nil, that really leaves far too much time in my opinion for the opposition to really come back and, and allow them to get back into the game. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on this one too. Is the Revs' defense isn't good enough to win a lot of games one nothing. Um, they did it this time, um, but you know I, I think this is a team that needs to score more than one goal generally to get three points, and they should have the talent as it is. I mean, I think with a guy like Gustavo Bowen, a guy like Carly Seal, and a guy like Adam Buxo, your three designated players are all attacking guys. You know, between them, they should be able to make it two nothing. Um, with that said, I think they played. You know, w- when you look at the formation today, they played a, a little bit more of a defensive formation, given the you know the, the diamond with three central midfielders that you know play kind of more defensively. Um, so you know, maybe they were kind of playing more for a low scoring win in this one, but I I do think going forward they need to find more offense. Um, not having Tejon Buchanan hurts. He's a guy that you know, can take somebody on and cause a lot of damage. We saw Boateng um, in the last game, which we didn't have a, a podcast afterwards, um, or play, play actually we did, but play really well off the bench. And he didn't get to come into this game, I think, because they didn't really fit the formation they were playing. Um, so they have guys that can come in and really kind of help add that second goal. Um, I think they just need to find a way to do it with the players they have now. I don't think we're going to see some big, uh, offensive signing come in that's going to you know add a second you know be that striker that finishes off an extra goal or something like that I don't think that's coming um, in this window so I think it needs to happen with who they have now and I think they have the talent on the team now to make it happen yeah I, by the way we just got a couple of new questions that came in from discord um, and I think that they slot in right now um, it would be a good time to ask I'll present them to you TSB 11 uh, says, was this Bruce admitting that the non-Tejan wingers maybe aren't very good or simply an attempt to win the center of the park and shield the defense? Um, so I think he's referring, of course, to the formation, the 4-4-2 switch. Uh, Sean, what is your what is your takeaway on the uh, formation? Is it is it the wingers or is it just shielding the defense? I think it's both. I mean, I think if, if uh, Tristan had been playing as well as we hoped he had, he wouldn't have done this. 
Um, and I think if Teal Bunbury, I mean, Teal Bunbury hasn't had that many opportunities this year, to be fair, but I think if Teal Bunbury had been, you know, playing as well as he had last year or making the impact he had last year, he probably wouldn't have done this. Um, so I, I think it's both. Um, and I, you know, I do think that it was helpful to kind of shield the defense more, but at the same time, when you're doing this, you're, you know, asking a lot more out of your fullbacks. And there were times where the fullbacks got caught forward and yes, having the extra central midfielders helped. Um, but there were a few times where there was a lot of space behind you know there's one there's one play in particular that sticks out in my mind i i I completely forget which minute it was in but brandon by got forward in the attack and was kind of jogging back on defense when atlanta had some numbers forward and there was a guy on the left wing that was completely open and for whatever reason atlanta didn't pass to him they passed to a guy on the right who was covered um but that was you know just something that stuck out as um in this formation there are some some other problems i mean again you know even when the revolution have wingers their fullbacks push forward and that could happen um, but you know, when you're playing this formation, you're asking a lot of your fullbacks to add to the offense. Um, so there are some downsides, you know, defensively as well. So I think if, you know, if the wingers other than Tejan had been playing really well, we wouldn't have seen this, but I also think it's a recognition that the revolution's defense hasn't been playing well and they needed a little bit more support and the central midfield gave it to them. Uh, I think that's fair. I, I agree for the most part with all of that. My only other thought is I think that it's, more just because Tejan Buchanan is not there and Bruce really wants to play two attackers up top. And maybe this is another way to play that way. And that's the only other piece I guess that I could add to that is um, my, my opinion as to maybe why he went to the four, four, two. Absolutely. Um, true. <laughs> uh, before we move on to the next question, there was another uh, kind of question, I guess over on discord that kind of leads into our next scheduled question. Uh, so Macho TM, it was more of a forum based rant thread that he was going off. So I'm going to try to summarize this. Basically he thinks that the revolution are um, struggling right now to beat Atlanta United two is what he called it. Um, and wants to know why this team isn't performing very well. And I don't know I don't know what to say myself about that, but Sean, do you have a takeaway from that? Look, I mean, even with a, a struggling Atlanta, it's a, not an easy place to go in and play. It's never easy to, to win on the road in general, but Atlanta's always been particularly difficult for the revolution. They have a you know large fan base. It's a, it's a difficult place to play. Um, and the revolution went in there, got an early lead, and overall kept Atlanta you know, relatively quiet. They didn't give up too many opportunities. It was a solid road performance i get that they're missing a lot of players and you'd like to see the revolution beat them three to nothing but um you know anytime you can go on the road and get a one nothing win against any opponent i think that's a really good result was it pretty no um but you know and again admittedly atlanta it wasn't the best team they were missing some guys but a one nothing result on the road i'll take that any day um it's something to build on it like we talked about it was a new formation for the revolution that they hadn't played in before um and all things considered i thought it was you know a, a good enough performance from the revolution um on the road and you know not something that i would panic about yep I, I, the only thing i would point out too i think the defense maybe for atlanta was closer to the starting back line as what they would normally field. Of course, Brad Guzan was not there. He is with the U.S. men's national team, as well as George Bello. Uh, I, I think maybe the can start over over Guzan. In my opinion, that's uh, maybe an upgrade for Atlanta. The only thing that they don't have is the you know the experience that Brad Guzan does bring to that back line. Um, George Bello, of course, they're going to be missing him, but overall, they still fielded a fairly strong back line and. I don't think that we should really be worried about the way that the performance went. And I, I really like that you pointed out the fact that Atlanta is such a hard place to play in. 
Yeah, you, you can't discount that. I mean, it's 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 also never easy on the road in MLS in general, but Atlanta in particular is, is very difficult. Um, our next question came from Twitter, and it was Matthew Korzak. He asked, do our forwards know what a first touch is? Chris, I'll let you take that one. Um, I'm going to say yes, technically. Um, but I obviously know where this question is trying to go because there's been a lot of sloppy first touches from our attacking half uh, pretty much all season. And also, I mean, you know, this isn't the Premier League. You're not going to see a very pretty first touches all the time. I do think that maybe the Revolution should be getting better first touches, though, overall than what they are performing. Uh, Buxa and Bo both seem to take heavy first touches pretty regularly. Uh, but... I mean, is it that bad? Is it making that much of a difference? The Rev still took three points away. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's 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 a harsh question. I think you know, it's like a, a harsh comment to make. But I, I see I see where Matthew was going with it. Well, I think the one that stands out in this one was um, Gustavo Bo. It was a difficult play, um, but he had a mm-hmm. chance to you know kind of get around the keeper and, and score, and he took a a difficult touch. Um, and then ended up diving, trying to get a penalty kick, pretty, pretty clear dive. Um, and you know, there, there were a couple of sloppy touches, but overall I thought the forwards played well today. And again, I, I, I get where the question is coming from. There were a few notable bad touches, but uh, I thought they played well today and I thought they've been playing better. And my concern more than the first touch again is, is that, you know, Buxa probably should have scored a goal or two in this one, but you know, it doesn't matter at the end of the day when the revolution get a one nothing win uh, could cost them in the future. Um, but I, I'm seeing improvement from him, and I'm seeing improvement in chem- from in chemistry between the two forwards. So um, I think it's a harsh comment, like you said. Um, and we're we're going back to the defense with the next one. James Downing um, asked on Twitter, "Did the Rebels actually do anything different to not concede two plus goals tonight, or was it just a toothless, disgruntled Atlanta squad?" Um, and then also do Books's comments from earlier this week change your opinion on his lack of clinical finishing? Um, and Chris, I don't know if you want to had a better can can sum up those comments but essentially i think he said that he you know had often played as almost a 10 or on the wing in the past and wasn't necessarily playing as a nine earlier yeah, he said he was a false nine yeah and yeah. uh and this has more been more of a transition for him and i think that's something that a, a lot of revolution fans myself included maybe have not necessarily noticed all we've really seen from uh from buxa before joining the revolution was his highlight package i don't think anybody that follows the revolution maybe except for one or two people that I've seen on Twitter have ever followed Pogon. I, I'm not going to try to say the team's name that he came from, um, but I, I'm just going to call it Pogon from now. And it, I mean, I don't think anyone's been watching that team and could understand necessarily the tactics that they deploy week in and week out where Books is normally playing when he was playing for that team and how different maybe that transition has been here. Uh, first of all, MLS is a totally different league than uh, the Polish uh, extra class, uh, again, I'm butchering words, but it, it's a totally different league. You're going to be asked to do different things. And uh, I guess he's adapted well. I mean, I thought he was supposed to just come in as more of a, a hold-up striker. And I think that he's been doing a very good job of that. As far as that, he Buxa also mentioned that he just doesn't like sitting on the bench you know he wants to be in the starting 11 and when the lineup comes out and he's not in the 11 he's not happy with it but he does respect the coach's decision uh which i guess that's the classic footballers comment when they're not being put in the starting 11 every week uh which is good to see you know good to know that buxa is mature and 
you know, a civilized person when it comes to these sort of situations. But yeah, I think to answer James' questions, you know, he had three questions there. I'm going to say yes, yes, and yes. The Revs do anything di- different to not concede goals? Yes. Uh, was it Atlanta's toothless, disgruntled squad? Yes, it was. And then Books's comments, I think a lot of that, you know, he's feeding in and he's he got very personal on that last, uh, personal for his standard at least, in that interview. And he really put it out and all on the pitch tonight. And it, it really showed. Um, as far as what the revolution did differently, I think we've covered that um, time and time again now tonight. But it's, you know, it's a lot of the formational differences, not having Tejon forcing us to play in a different in a different way and give a different look to Atlanta. But also, you know, Atlanta was not coming with their best attacking attacking foot forward. Yeah, I, I agree with all that. And the only thing I'd add is, you know, Books's comments make you understand more why, you know, maybe he's not a clinical finisher. But the Revolution still need him to be a clinical finisher. So it's it's one of those things that you hope he keeps improving on. Um, but, it, you know, like we talked about earlier, I thought every other aspect of his game tonight was really good. So and if he can give you all that other stuff um, and set up Gustavo Bo for a goal or two, uh, maybe you don't care quite as much. But I think at the end of the day, the Revs need him to be a clinical finisher. And, you know, I understand more why he's not um, or why he didn't come in that way. But um, it's something he needs to keep working on. Um, the next question came from Sean Sweeney, uh, Revolution, former Revolution reporter um, on Twitter, who asked, do you guys agree that the start of uh, half long balls over the top feel wasted? It's practically telegraphed now. Why not possess? Why give a long ball at nine times out of 10 uh, turned over within 10 seconds? And just as an example, in this game, the Revolution kicked off to start the second half. Um, they passed it back to, I believe it was Henry Kessler. Kessler booted it forward to the left side, where there was a Revolution player, I think, you know, kind of a 50-50 ball he put up there. Uh, I think it went out, out of bounds for a throw-in for Atlanta. Um, I haven't paid that close attention to how the Revolution have done kickoffs. Chris, it sounds like you might have paid more attention than I have. What, what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I've definitely noticed that it's been a theme. They don't do it every single time they kick off, but I have noticed it happening. I noticed it happened uh, in the last match versus Toronto as well. It actually worked to the Revolution's advantage there where they, I don't remember the players exactly or the exact play, but I do remember uh, right off kickoff, uh, they booted it right downfield. This time it was to the right side of the pitch and the left back uh, for Toronto, it took the ball down, but it went straight to uh, a, a Revolution player. I don't remember who it was that it went to. But uh, I don't I don't get the tactic behind it. Maybe it's just throw the ball up and try to make make the other team make a mistake on the back line, and then all of a sudden they're everyone's out of position and the revs are ready to attack. But it's not just the Revolution that employ this tactic either. You see it all around football, uh, from MLS to the Premier League to Bundesliga, wherever you're watching, you see this tactic happen. Um, I mean, it happens when I play my rec league games. It, it, it happens everywhere. I don't understand why, but again, I'm just I'm just a lonely keeper, so I don't know why anyone does a lot of things that they do. That's a good question from Sean, pretty technical, and I, I agree in general. I don't love it. Um, I especially don't love it when the Revolution are playing a 4-4-2 diamond um, and they don't have wingers. Yep. It's, it's, I can understand the thought process a little bit more when you have Tejan Buchanan up there and, and Tristan up there and you know they're challenging for a ball and you know if there's an error they can make something happen. It it 
I don't know. In a game like this, I'd rather see the Revolution possess it. Um, and in general, I'd rather see the Revolution possess it. But I can I can justify it more when they're playing with wingers. Um, yep. But you know, it's a good it's a good question. But I I, I think we're not going to see it change. <laughs> it's it's a good point though to bring up the winger fact too, because before like in the Toronto game, I think Tommy McNamara was playing a wing. Which, by the way, I'm glad that Tommy Mac did not play as a winger in tonight's yes. match. But um, it, that is something yeah. I don't get. <laughs> No, I, I don't get Tom McNamara playing wing, and I don't get the uh, the kickoff long balls. But I'm also not a coach. <laughs> uh, and Josh Goulet or Glay, sorry, I'm pronouncing that wrong. On Twitter, had a, more of a comment than a question. No question, this game. Loved the podcast and was really quite impressed by the game. Excited to hear you all talk about this game. Thanks, Josh. We appreciate it. Uh, and he also said, did you know that something was going on with Joseph Martinez? My God, did they talk about that a lot? Yes, they was did. Was something going on with Joseph Martinez? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, yeah. we talked about it a lot, too, so I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, no. It, I mean, Alejandro Moreno, he went on and on. And, of course, I, I, I think he's buddies with with Joseph Martinez. So it's a little bit different from his perspective. Uh, I I would have liked to maybe not have a national broadcast for tonight's match but that's just listening to the broadcasters um yeah that, that joseph martinez thing uh, i was a little bit a little bit annoyed i guess that it went on for so long and i, I don't know if it was annoyed isn't necessarily the right word but i was just like all right enough already let's just get on with the game we understand gabriel Hines, joseph martinez there's something going on but uh, it's beating a dead horse you know after the 20th time you talk about it so yeah, I, I I agree, and I I think um, Jeff Lemieux called called out uh, Alejandro Moreno for also making a comment where he was talking about the Revolution defensive work rate and said, oh, if you got Adam Buxa and Gustavo Bo and Carles Heel, they're not going to contribute anything on de- on defense. Uh, and you know, Jeff Lemieux called that out as you know, I mean, it might be true a bit about the strikers, but Carles Heel has a great defensive work rate um so that didn't i I mean i thought alejandro moreno did a good job overall and and called out some you know it was correct to say you know like the revolution should get three points out of this game if you look at atlanta's rosters things like that but he was you know dead wrong on that one because carly's heel um has a great defensive work rate and it's you know you're not paying attention if you if you question that a hundred percent and while we're on the moreno topic real quick i was hoping that he was going to divulge into a story or something about the time that he was teammates with brad knight and i'm guessing that it was maybe only a year as they overlapped or something like that yeah. but I, I wanted to get some some sort of juicy story or something out of it he just breezed past that he just didn't even acknowledge it and i was a little disappointed his comment was something like oh that's that just so so old like essentially he brushed it off and and made a comment that was essentially that just shows how old he is which that's not what he said but it was along those lines (laughs) yeah i don't know how good that is or something like that yeah like that's not a good thing like implying that that just means he's really old (laughs) which which brad knighton is by far the oldest person on the revs at 36 years old but (laughs) but that's that's not very helpful um our our last question comes from jake catanese from the bent musket on twitter he asked how convincing was this revs performance for you guys eight wins on the year and only one multi-goal win still against the 10 man red bull new york when does not putting away games late become a concern if at all this kind of goes back to that you know dagger question um but chris how convincing was this win for you um and are you concerned about not putting away games late yeah i mean this question really just summarizes a lot of the questions that we've had overall tonight and Yes, I am concerned that we don't end up putting uh, putting games away when it's late. These one goal games are a bit a bit too much of a nail biters, in my opinion. Um, was it was it a convincing win? 
not by any means because it was not a strong Atlanta team. And on the other hand, I guess you could say maybe it wasn't the strongest revolution team either. You know, we started uh, Captoom and Maciel together. I think that's the first time that they have started together, uh, which was interesting. Dewan Jones, we didn't even mention him, but he left in, I think it was the 60th minute or something uh, with what appears to be an injury, but uh, it's all speculation at this point. It, I don't think anyone has reported on uh, what's been going on. I, th- I know Bruce was asked about it, but I don't think he gave an answer. I, I forget exactly where I was going with that, but uh, it wasn't a convincing win is it basically what I'm trying to say. I don't know if you feel any different, but uh, yeah, not a convincing win uh, and the team needs to start putting, putting the game away. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm with you. It was, I mean, it, again, it was a good, good shutout on the road and three points, but you know, was it a dominating performance? Absolutely not. But uh, so no, not convincing. And, and yes, they do need to do more to put teams away and not kind of have to play out at the, at the end of the game. But the one thing I will say is that it wasn't one of those end of the games where they were getting peppered by Atlanta and you were really worried they were going to concede. So uh, I, I will say that that was a good thing that they, you know, they played out the game pretty well. They won corner kicks. They took the ball down and wasted time. Um, you know, there was no dagger, but it also wasn't one of those games where in 90, you know, stoppage time, they're getting peppered by Atlanta and you're freaking out. So that was a plus to me. Um, but, you know, really, really quickly, because we didn't talk about him. What, what did you think of Mofla's, you know, 19 minutes on the field? I really liked it. I, I was I was impressed. I thought he was very active and very much involved. Uh, I didn't see him necessarily making many mistakes. Uh, like as, as far as how he was playing the ball, where he was playing it, I can't think of one time that he was really dispossessed or lost the ball. Uh, he like I said, he was very active and he was kind of all over the the pitch. Uh, I I liked seeing that energy out there. I think that's the word that I'm looking for. I know Dewan Jones brings a ton of energy, uh, but be being able to see Mafla get out there and actually provide maybe an equal level of energy to the game that what Dewan Jones brings and knowing that maybe Mafla has a better skill set geared towards playing left back is some, somewhat encouraging I guess because all we've seen so far is you know we've heard the heard the nicknames I guess that you Mafla's called glass legs and he's always injured and he seems to be injured all the time as far as the revolution of Adam so far it's nice to get him on the field and see him being healthy and to see him contributing. Uh, I, I really was pleased by his, uh, by his 19 minutes. Yeah. I thought, it, I thought he showed was fine. You know, he, he looked, he did a good job on the role. I think um, the, the commentators called him out for a foul on the offensive third. That probably wasn't necessary, but other than that, I thought he would, you know, did a good job. Uh, the most important thing is he seemed to finish the match without getting injured. So, um, you know, uh, hopefully Dewan Jones is ready to go on Wednesday. Um, but if not, it was good that, you know, Mafla got in 19 good minutes in this game. Um, you know, part of me was wondering, you know, when Jones went down, if Bruce Arena would go to Boateng instead of Mafla, uh, which would be a really bad sign for Mafla. Um, cause Boateng's you know, would be your offensive option, more of a winger that can, can play left back if you need him to. And Mafla in theory should be the more solid defensive guy. So that was, it was, a, you know, a good sign to me that that Mahok was the one that that came in. Um, although I guess it would have been you know more of a bad sign than this was a good sign if it was Boateng over Mafla because that would have really mm. shown poorly for him. So, but I, you know, I agree with you. I thought he did a decent job. Um, wasn't worried about him back there from his play. So you know, we'll see if he ends up starting Wednesday and gets more minutes. But he, I thought he did a you know perfectly good job in this game. 
And I, I wanted to give a quick shout out to, I mean, not, a, not like they're going to be listening, but, you know, Henry Kessler, I thought that he had such a fantastic game tonight. And the way that he would just casually advance the ball through the yes. midfield it, it, several times, too. I thought it was fantastic. He drew a foul where, you know, again, we keep talking about Alejandro Moreno. He had more of an impact than anyone else, I feel like, tonight. But Moreno even mentioned it a lot uh, as well, you know, saying, how do you let Henry Kessler get through, get 40 yards upfield uh, and then foul him as well? It, it was uh, a really good performance by him. I think that uh, playing out of the back with Henry Kessler is something that I'd like to maybe see this team do a bit more. Maybe if you have a less... Um, uh, error-prone center-back pairing with him. But uh, I, I really am encouraged to see that sort of play uh, from a center-back as well. And then uh, a couple other topics I want to talk about before we wrap things up. It's getting late. <laughs> um, there was one comment this week. Bruce Arena sat down with Elizabeth Ahoda to have a, an interview, and he mentioned that they uh, might sign a player over the next week or two that they've been looking at for 18 months. Uh, Chris, what do, you, what do you think of that? And if you were to speculate, what 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 role is this player going to play? <laughs> uh, if I had to speculate, I'm thinking it has to be a defensive player. Although if Bruce says that he's been looking at this player for 18 months, uh, I don't know if necessarily they were looking at center backs 18 months ago as I think a they primary option. <laughs> they, I mean, they should be looking all over the pitch 18 months ago. But I think a lot of the big problems that the revolution were having was scoring goals. And I think that makes me think that maybe this is some sort of attacking piece that he's been looking for. And that's my speculation. That's me overthinking and looking way too far into it. But I would have to say that the player that he's bringing in is going to be some sort of attacking or midfield piece uh, that the revolution maybe don't need. That's going to be a bit crowded up there. I hope that my, my instincts are wrong and that it's going to be some sort of defender because that is obviously what the revolution are looking for. I'm I'm going to be more optimistic and I'm going to say I think it's a defender. We've heard Bruce talk a few times now about how um last year they, you know, they only had two real center they didn't have enough center back depth. So I'm ho- hopefully 18 months ago he still realized they didn't have enough center back depth. And was looking at a center back. So I'm going to go with that. Um quickly Gold Cup tomorrow, US versus Canada. We're going to see Matt Turner versus Tejan Buchanan 5 p.m. You excited? I am so excited and it I'm going to say right now, if either of them do not get the start, which I don't see why either of them would not get the start, but, you know, they have both locked up the next round, so maybe the teams have some rotation. But if either of them do not get the start, I'm going to be thoroughly upset. I might break my television. Uh, I want to see this matchup so bad. And I saw someone mentioning on uh, on on Twitter that they wanted to see Buchanan tear up the U.S., but then get totally, uh, you know, stonewalled at at the goal by Turner. And that would make me so happy as well to see both of them do so well uh, and basically control the entire game. That's not going to happen like that. But uh, yeah, in, in one fantasy that that would be a, a, a great entertaining match to watch. Yeah. To be honest, I'm not completely sold on the, the U S defense on this gold cup roster. And it's obviously not the U S a team. Um, so I think there's an opportunity for Canada to have, have some luck against them. I, I could see Canada getting a draw out of this game. Potentially um, should note that, you know, the two teams are tied on points, but Canada has the tiebreaker. So the U S needs to win this game to take the top spot in the group. I, I honestly haven't looked at the permutations of who that means they'd match up with in the next round, but presumably if they get first place, presumably they'll want to get first place to, to hopefully play a weaker team. 
um you know i i'm i could be i could be have not you know again i haven't looked so i could be i could be saying something stupid right now but my assumption is that both teams will you know go for it and it'll be exciting game to watch yeah if if mexico wins their match i forget who they're playing uh if mexico wins their match which they're expected to mexico would face the second seed in uh the group that us and canada are in so you want to win uh tomorrow night to not face mexico in a semi-final match you want to wait till you get to the finals to face mexico yeah you want to avoid mexico as long as 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 humanly possible um for sure this mexican team though it looks weak um and they brought a strong team they are have not been playing well i don't know how much you've been watching of it sean but i've been watching more mexico than anything else actually i don't know why but uh the the team itself they've been uh underperforming as far as what I would expect them to do, especially considering that they did bring such a strong team. Oh, I'm, I'm actually looking now and they, they would face Mexico in the semifinals. If that, if they, if they lose this game and Mexico wins their game, they would yeah. face, so they don't, that's why they wouldn't want to want to lose if they, but if they lose this game, um, they would face either Costa Rica or Jamaica. And if they win this game, they'd face either Costa Rica or Jamaica, uh, both of which would be tough matches. But um, so I, I, I mean, I, the benefit is avoiding Mexico in the semifinal, I guess, and, and waiting to face them in the final. But at least at least either way, they don't, they don't have to face Mexico in the quarterfinal. <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed. And be- before we end the show, we wanted to remind everybody to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, all of which are Revolution Recap, so easy enough to find. Um, be sure to rate and review us on iTunes if you haven't already. You can follow me at Sean Aldonio. Chris, I know you have a few different social media outlets. Where can people follow you? Yeah, I'm, I'm mostly always on, on Twitter. Uh, it's at Chris Valukas, K-R-I-S-V-A-L-U-K-I-S, or you can follow me at Revs Recap. Uh, Revs Recap. Oh my goodness, at Revs Revolt. I'm getting all these mixed up. It's it's getting late. Um, I'm at Revs Revolt, and uh, I post on YouTube as well occasionally. So hoping to get some more out soon. And we did want to end the show today with a clip from our October 23rd, 2005 show that had Paul Mariner on as a guest. I hosted that one with Walter Siller from the Portuguese Time, who asked Paul about whether he would ever leave New England for a head coaching job elsewhere on MLS. We should note he did leave four years later for Plymouth, um, but I thought the clip was a good one, just you know him talking about how much he loved Boston. So we wanted to, to end with that. We'll play that for you now, and um, I think we might try to do a Twitter Spaces after the midweek game, uh, so you can follow us on Twitter to know when the next show will be. But uh, we did want to end the show with the, the clip of Paul Mariner. Uh, if uh, after this season you have an offer to be uh, coaching uh, uh, any place in MLS, would you uh, break this duo, Steve Nichols and Paul Mariner? Um, uh, that's a very difficult question um, because I came to uh, John Kerr, the Harvard University coach, brought me in here uh, to Boston. Um, I'd only been to Boston as a, as a visitor. I hadn't really been to, to live. Uh, as soon as I came here, I really liked this town. Um, I've, been, I've lived all over the place in the USA, um, been all over the place. Um, this town is a very, very special town. It's, it, to me, it's, it's a little bit like Europe. Uh, the architecture, the people, uh, the ocean, the river, um, what it has to offer, you know, socially, the, it's just a fantastic place to live. Um, I have a, a job at the present moment with Steve Nichol that, um, not many people would trade places for. We have a fantastic working relationship. Uh, we have the ultimate respect for each other. Um, do I think I could be a head coach? Absolutely. I, I'm, I'm sure that I could be. Uh, but it would have to 
be a special position to take me away from the position that I'm in now because I'm having a, the most fantastic time and Walter um, I hope I'm not stepping everybody's toes but the photographs that you sent me uh, on the internet absolutely uh, confirms that fact because Stevie and I on the sideline have a great time and you capture that in, uh, in pictures tremendously well thank you very much for that